Hi everyone, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and I'm delighted to have with me today Dr. Laurie Dixon who has previously been uh, an educator, a principal, a director, she owns a number of companies, a best-selling author, visionary speaker and educationalist. Hi Dr. Laurie, good to see you. Hi, good to see you today. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. I do appreciate um, your time. I know that you're a, a best-selling author. Why don't you hold up your book and tell us about it and the, the motivation for writing it? This is one of my books, the one that's the most mainstream. Um, it's called Step Out, Step Up, Step Forward, How to Walk in Your Purpose. And it even has some strategies and tools that I've shared with folks over the years to, able, to help them be able to walk further in a more renewed way to make sure that they're on a purpose track in their life. Plus, it's got great stories from even the classroom and some funny ones from being a principal as well. So, yes. That sounds great. You said renewed. What do you mean by renewed? I believe that we each every year renew our call to action as learners and as educators. Even if I'm not still in the business every year of opening up a school door, I still believe that every year I renew my ethical um, journey towards making sure learning is still out there for all of us. I love that. I think as educators, we need to be lifelong learners and modeling that, that approach. I love that. I love that. What motivated you really to write the book and capture those stories and share it? Part of it was my own clients and the journey that I faced as well. Um, I think I've been retired six different times and I keep coming back. Um, retiring from being in that therapeutic educational realm to then, you know, retiring from being a principal, being a professor, those different walks of life to be able to take the next leap. And so I really believe that sometimes you need tools and strategies along the way to help others. And so I started doing a lot of private and small groups with clients. And especially in the educational arena, I found that it wasn't just new strategies for the classroom or for leadership that they needed. They really needed personal direction. They needed that renewed sense of spirit every year. And to be able to kind of have that positive mindset and grab hold of the passion that they used to always feel that got them there. Mm -hmm. So that's what got me to write the book. More and more people wanted to see that. So I think um, people who aren't in education don't quite understand the emotional, the psychological, the physical effort that goes into getting up and going every single day for 20 to 50 kids and um, mm -hmm. just delivering something of excellence. What are some strategies that you would suggest or encourage educators to put into practice on a daily basis to, to recenter themselves and, and keep moving forward? Always reframe where you are and where you're headed. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but I'm going to give that again. It's reframing where I am right now and where I'm headed so that I see it in a different way. I always look at it as what's working right now 
and what do I need to work better so that I'm always striving for that next step. If we only look at what's wrong right now, we don't ever get into that problem-solving mode. And so we want to instill that in our learners too, is what's working, what do I need to reframe to walk forward again in a new way? And you will find nine times out of 10, it pushes you through that area that was a hurdle. Mm, nice. So with the range of positions that you've had as a teacher, a principal, a director, an adjunct professor in the university, which one of those positions was, was most you and you felt you could contribute to and why? That's a great question. Um, I will say I found myself in each one of them because it's what I needed at that time of my life to take the next step in my own evolving so that I was even a better me for the next stage of my life and career. I loved working in that therapeutic arena but I knew when it was time for me to take the next step. I loved being a principal and having three to 400 little people that were all running around that I was kind of uh, at the helm of leading and having teachers that I worked with to help them evolve further. So every one of them, I gained new information. I'm not done. You know, um, I'm on a piece of my journey right now that is taking me into a whole new level of knowledge. So I think it's being able to embrace exactly where you are and find out what those lessons are for you right now to be ready to then accept the next challenge. And if you are still learning the lessons, then you're meant to be there. So continue to embrace those. You'll know when it's time to be able to take the next leap. I like hearing about challenges and how, you got, how people got through them. So uh, when you were a principal, what did you find? Give us an example of a challenge that you, you encountered and how you dealt with it. Um, the first one that I will share had to do with families. And I was always a family coordinator or always was around with families that had some difficulties or their own hurdles, but had never been given the tools to help them walk through those. There are a lot of preconceived notions um, about families when you first see them that we on the outside are kind of looking in the fishbowl We've seen their children, we've seen their adolescence, uh, maybe the type of job that they work. And so suddenly our own biases rise up. And we tend to make those preconceived notions. I was some of the, I will, let me back up and say it this way. I found my own community of working with the most diverse population, with the most difficult inner city, um, highly, highly um, uh, drug infested, um, lots of police activity. 
I found those to be some of the safest places for me to do home visits. And I know that sounds like something that doesn't equate, but what happens is you don't know about that family and the resilience of that family and how open they are about supporting their children until you walk into some of the most difficult environments. I've gone to the other end of the spectrum and seen super affluence with children that I, they had all of the resources possible. You would think that they were ready to embrace that, but yet they had their own difficulties. And so what I find is we have to release any of those preconceived notions and be able to embrace who they are as families and give them the tools that they need in the moment and embrace who they are. So because all parents love their children and love their adolescents and love even their college kids, you know, so we want what's best for them. And so it's part of that understanding. So I will tell you some of the biggest challenges that I faced was not myself figuring that out, but trying to articulate that and have my teachers embrace that without fear. And once they did, it was some of the best memories to this day that those teachers have. So it's walking into those troubled times. I like that um, idea of resilience. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, okay. about recognizing it and what that means? Yes. Um, I was actually the administrator of what was called in the beginning when they formed the school, the at-risk school for student failure. Now, if that wasn't a marketing endeavor, <laughs> yes, I know. So we called it the school for at hope instead of for at risk. I did a lot of writing in the early days about what was coined the at-risk factors. And what we found was our children learned differently. Mm. Our teachers found new and creative and innovative ways to open up education to children that had never had that platform before. And so what we found was resiliency is, comes from within. It's a desire for us to keep moving forwards. Mm. And so, again, when we look at terms like at risk, that's what's not working instead of resiliency, which is what is. So mm. we focus on that. Can you tell me about the at-risk factors? Are you, are you meaning things like the ACEs study? Yes, very much so. So what were some of those um, at-risk factors you encountered with those students? We had a list of 19 factors that we actually created um, checklists for our children off of them. And they were things like lower language development, um, even prenatal care, um, socioeconomic levels, um, parents that were literate. Um, so 
everything from was were there any college graduates or high school graduates within the family um, and we developed our own for our community we added in a few that we wanted to be able to see to you know to kind of gather some data in one of the areas that we looked predominantly in was early language development mm. Um, we found there is such a huge correlation between early literacy and early academic levels with the ability to have on-target language development, language understanding as well as expressive. And so we really did um, a full-blown program in language development, which normally would have only been for children that qualified for a language type speech and language we gave it to every one of our students awesome. because we wanted to see if that being increased in any way had a correlation and it did mm. wow. so we ran a lot of different studies um, in our school it was a lab school um, in florida with a university so we were very lucky to have that type of ability i suggest anytime you can do that they are always looking for grad students to come and do different studies in the school it's a great way to grow your population and your own learning mm. so yeah wow so you caught what was the name of the school what was the rebrand the rebrand, we called it ourselves the At Hope School. At Hope, love it. So whenever um, there were families that would come and they'd say, um, my child went to the local elementary school and was turned away and told we had to come to your school because it was for children that were at risk for educational failure. And I said, really? They must have made a mistake. Really, <laughs> but you're in the right place. <laughs> Love it. Language is important. Yes, it yeah, is. Good. Yes. Hey, tell us a bit more about resiliency. I mean, I agree with you. I believe that resiliency is, is something internal, but it's also something we can grow. How did you assist and cultivate that resiliency in the right direction inside the school environment? Tell us about that. We created lots of different programs that also raised self-esteem. And so we wanted children to learn things like self-regulatory behaviors. And so we wanted them to have more control of their own behavior. And so that they developed those internal structures. And so even at kindergarten with children that came in with no informational knowledge um, to be able to be successful in the eyes of the state, shall we say, um, we knew that those kids were going to excel. We also created programs in um, art, music, and types of movement that we added in for children to feel incredibly successful. And so we put in things like yoga every morning for the entire school. So we started with focus and discipline and quiet and breath work so that when they walked into the classrooms, 
if they were in need of that again, their teacher, instead of putting them in timeout or putting a mark on a board or something like that, would say, it sounds like you need to do a little extra breath work. I'd like for you to start now and I'll come back and check on you. And the kid knew exactly what that meant and would took a hold of that. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's just one example. I love that you created opportunities for students to succeed, art, music, all that sort of stuff to make sure that they could express and be created and have success. And then that strategy of starting the day calm because we just don't know the environments that the students have come from, the chaos or the calm that they come from, but helping everyone to get to a sense of calmness and focus and not just being able to only have that during those times, but learning the skills to do that themselves when they need to. I think that's brilliant. Is there anything else you can tell us around that? Because I think that's quite powerful for um, school leaders to think about and teachers to think about. Is there another strategy or tactic you put in place? Yes, one of the things that we, there were two, I'll give you back to back. Um, One of them was understanding what fear looked like for each person, which sounds very different But every one of us comes from something that elicits fear. And so understanding that in a family or in a a child was very powerful for us. And it was also a way to leverage relationship and start to build trust, was being able to share our biggest concerns and our biggest fears for our children so that they found that common ground with each other. So that when a family would leave their child for the day and or they get on a bus and end up at your building and you know the family has no idea of what that looks like because they experienced so much fear and failure themselves as children that that's all they had as a way of grounding information about what school was like. So when we knew that with a family, we allowed them to come with them. And so we found ways for them to actually make different experiences within the school to start to understand and reform a better relationship with what school and learning and success really looked like. So we always say the family is the patient. You know, the family is the client. It's not just Mm. the student in front of you. I will use that same example. Um, I used to travel the country um, in one of the companies that I had. I designed programs Um, that many of the different states, including some international groups, were actually working with. And so when I would go into some rather new environments for me, one of the things that I always looked at was, is it that fear that's rising in me from not understanding or not knowing how this environment functions? So that I could ask good questions of a faculty member, or I would bring a student into that with me. So for instance, I worked in a lot of areas in New York, in New York City predominantly, 
and a lot of the boroughs um, in that area. And if you know anything about New York and New York City and some of those things, there are some very difficult schools. Um, most of the time we're on lockdown. Um, and therefore, me coming in there was very new for me. So I would share that with one of the high school students. And I'd say, you know, when you walk me around today, I'm really leaning on you. This is something that you're helping me be empowered by me relying on and trusting you. And how much I appreciated that for that student. And then they would ask me questions. Well, what are environments that really concern you or what are environments that you would never worry about? So it opened up this beautiful discussion with us, which is the number one factor and pillar is trust. So it developed that with me being in those environments. So that gives you an example of why fear is such an unusual thing to take a look mm. at. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Laura, in the, in the next couple of minutes that we just have left, I'd love for you to share with our aspiring leaders and our current leaders as well, some ideas, some tips or some experiences that they could implement to really grow themselves in preparation for leadership or the next level of leadership. What would you advise some career tips? Follows, follow a mentor who is one of the people that you aspire to follow a career in. And if you don't have one of those, then reach out to several and ask them to be one. People are honored by you following their career and are always glad to bring those up underneath that are replacing us as we are no longer in that service. Two would be to learn everything you can by listening more than speaking and hearing what is really going on within the environments that you serve so that you can find the things that fit. I can tell you some of my favorites, but when you're listening and hearing what's going on, then you will know what you need. Um, the last one would probably be um, to never give up. And as one of my mentors many, many years ago, because I worked in such difficult therapeutic type situations, and she would say, remember, it's not you, it's the kids. And I always laughed because what you think of is, oh, it's not me that's going crazy. It's the children that are, <laughs> you know, and on some days that did apply. But I will tell you, it isn't about me in that situation. Right. The focus is always on what do I need to be creating in that environment for them to feel safe and secure as a learner. As an administrator, you just change the ripple. What do I need to do as an administrator so that my teachers, faculty, and staff feel safe and secure so that they can thrive? Mm. 
And if you can follow that, then you'll know where to turn when you need assistance. And I will also say you are welcome to email me with challenges. I can always send you towards the right direction with many areas that I have worked in. And so I would welcome that and offer that for any of your students that are watching. So, Dr. Laurie, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate the career advice that you just gave and the things that you've shared. Would you please hold up your best-selling book for us one more time? Sure. So if people are interested, they can see it on Amazon and grab it. Awesome. Yeah. Step out, step up, and step forward. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Laurie. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. And hopefully all of the aspiring leaders and teachers and admins that you're working with are gathering new tools. I know they are. So thank you for this opportunity.